This is Easy Chair number 340, May the 25th, 1995, R.J. Rushduni. Tonight, Douglas Murray, Andrew Sandlin, Mark Rushduni, and myself have the pleasure of having with us Dr. Ellsworth McIntyre and his son and co-worker, Daniel McIntyre. Dr. McIntyre is very, very important in the current educational scene because of the work he's done in pioneering in educating children normally regarded as preschool and taking them through the third or fourth grade level. He has six schools, five of which are preschool. The sixth takes in the fourth through the sixth grade, so it's the school to which the other children go, and he's planning on going through the high school level and has several uh, locations in other communities in which to build in the near future other schools. He is located in what is a very interesting and unusual community, Naples, Florida, and has really made his mark there. Mac, it's a pleasure to have you with us. You've been a very important part, part of our work, and we have followed everything you do uh, with a great deal of uh, delight and pride that uh, you have linked yourself to us as a Christian Reconstructionist. Would you tell us now what you have done there in Naples and what your goals are? Take your time, please. Well, <clears throat> thank you, Rush. Uh, we are closely linked to Calcedon since we designed our schools to teach the Christian Reconstructionist uh, point of view from the very beginning. Uh, we designed our work to be freestanding, that is, uh, supported only by tuition income from the parents who benefit from our schools, uh, so that we would be free to uh, teach the doctrine that we felt was necessary for the children's futures. Uh, the children that come to us come primarily from working parents, and most of the parents uh, would probably not be church members in any particular church, certainly not a, a robust uh, reformed church of the type that uh, would support Christian Reconstructionist theology. So we designed the school to provide, a, initially, a daycare environment for working parents who more and more have to work. and there teach the children an intensive phonics program uh, so that it's not unusual that we'll have uh, three-year-olders that will read fluently. Mm -hmm. uh, a bright uh, graduate from our kindergarten level is not unusual to read at the fifth grade level. The teaching of the Ten Commandments, the 23rd Psalm, the uh, uh, Lord's Prayer, the basics of the Christian faith, uh, the parents initially uh, understand that we're going to teach to them but don't understand the impact that that will have on their children's behavior. And so we find that by the time they get to the kindergarten level, why, if the youngster is fluent, if the youngster is uh, testing, we test them on the Stanford uh, Reading Achievement Tests, and it's not unusual to have them go clear up to the fifth grade level on these tests. 
then the parents uh, have a decision to make about keeping the youngsters in a good Christian school rather than going to the public schools. And happily, more and more of them are deciding to stay with us. Since our tuition cost is very reasonable, uh, we're only $70 a week in Naples right now, uh, $65 a week in uh, Cape Coral, and only $55 a week in uh, Port Charlotte because of the economic level of the communities. Well, the parents find that they would not be able to hire after-school care usually for uh, much less than that. And so for just a few dollars more, they can give the child a, an intensive uh, private school education, uh, an education that allows the child to learn how to say yes, sir, and no, ma'am, and uh, be obedient and be productive and be all the things that parents want their children to be uh, for no more cost and many times less cost than the cost just for daycare. Uh, so we've met a, a need that the working parents have, and we've thrown in uh, Christianity, so to speak, as a bonus that becomes more and more appreciated, and then the parents uh, in turn keep the children with us. You spoke about the impact on parents. Could you tell us how that has led to marriage? <laughs> well, uh, increasingly many of the young people nowadays, uh, many times not out of sheer rebellion, it's just uh, they live together, they don't bother to get married, uh, uh, they uh, are afraid of more influenced by popular culture than they are by Christian culture, as my generation might. Uh, but whenever the youngsters come home asking uh, hard questions about adultery and uh, this commandment that they learned at the school, and uh, many times the children will say, uh, well, shouldn't we uh, pray at home? Uh, we do before we have our meals and our snack times at, uh, at school. And the parents are led many times to uh, ask us to uh, marry them, or they go back to their, uh, their churches to get married. Uh, and many of them have made a rededication to Christ. Many of them have come to a conversion experience by the means of the children because it's very hard to uh, look a little child in the eye and say, no, that is <laughs> what we're doing is okay uh, because uh, Hollywood may so, say so or because the majority of people say so. Uh, when the child comes home saying God's word says, uh, that's a powerful sermon. And it's a sermon that's delivered in a very... Um, kind way. The child doesn't come home uh, uh, with a chip on his shoulder, so to speak, but he comes home asking some, for some questions. Daniel here, for example, had a wedding just recently. And, uh, we have some folks that uh, just don't have a church connection, and uh, they promise us that after uh, we have the ceremony that they'll, be, uh, they'll show their face up at their childhood church or whatever it is. Uh, so we do the best we can to serve the families in this area, and the children become good preachers for us uh, in this area. You have uh, a thoroughly educational program, and that it is not entertaining the children, and you don't even have a free play recess. You're teaching them continually, or it is organized play. Uh, and that, to me, is one of the amazing things. These children are so very happy, and they are self-disciplined because they've learned that in the school. Uh, could you comment something about your goals in those areas? We have found that children, uh, the more secure they are, uh, the more happy they are. Uh, what 
basically produces unhappiness in children is not being uh, aware of what's going to happen next. Children are born into a world in which uh, everything seems out of control, and especially if they're born into a home that's not happy, uh, a home that's uh, no divorce, a, ha- a home that's known a lot of uh, arguing. And so the home is unpredictable. It's a terrifying place. But if suddenly they show up at a school like ours where everything happens on schedule at the same time, uh, the future suddenly becomes predictable. Uh, the teacher is predictable. The teacher has rules that are predictable. Uh, the teacher has activities, and they know that if they perform these activities well that they're going to receive praise, and if they perform them badly, they're not going to receive praise. And the same is true when they go out on the playground. If they go out on the playground and it's chaos, this produces unhappiness. But if they go out on the playground and we have organized games, uh, for example, I think we sold out every hula hoop in Naples twice, whenever we get going yes. on that, uh, we'll have days in which they can bring in wire guns and we'll have organized little uh, shooting at each other and so forth. But the idea is that it has to be organized play with rules so that the child learns to discipline himself and learns how to conduct himself in relationship to others rather than the chaotic uh, free-for-all in which children are injured on the playground. And uh, the teachers, men like uh, Daniel, have been very innovative on uh, uh, new games to invent uh, for the youngsters. For example, Dad, tell them about going to the library and uh, getting games and so forth. Well, that was interesting because I went to find games that the children would enjoy playing, games that I remembered from my youth that I could not remember all the rules to. And there wasn't that many I could remember other than football and soccer and some of those ones, but... I went to look for simple games like hopscotch, where you would boil a hopscotch and what the exact sizes would be and different rules that played it. And I found the copyright of the book was 1950. <laughs> there was no updates, no nothing. I mean, there was nobody looking into these. But I, it's because they believe in non-competitive play now. And so anything that would be competitive or any kind of game where you would be out or discluded from the group for a while until be able to be invited back into it, would be a game that would be unacceptable because there's a winner and a loser and they can't have that. Douglas, do you have any question you'd like to ask? Well, I'm, I'm interested in the impact on the parents. Uh, was this anticipated? Yes, uh, we anticipated the impact upon the parents. Um, for example, in an ordinary school using an invitational uh, system of doctrine, uh, the child would be uh, persuaded to make a profession of faith and would be assured of his salvation because he made a profession of faith. Then he goes home and uh, asks mommy and daddy if they're going to have an also. Uh, and this can be rather disconcerting to the parents, to say the least, particularly if they're not of evangelical uh, persuasion. Uh, we decided in, instead to teach the child that a profession of faith it's something which causes them to be able to keep the commandments better and better, and that they could not be certain of their uh, salvation as long as uh, they were not growing in the power to obey God and obey God's word better and better. Uh, so as a result, the child is led to examine himself in relationship to, to God's law, which, of course, is the exact uh, uh, gospel that, according to Scripture, to inspect the uh, log that's in your own eye rather than the might that's in thy neighbor's. 
uh, this makes for a much more polite child. And whenever the child comes home and he's chased and he's uh, examining himself and he's worried about um, reading up his room, he's worried about obeying his parents because if he doesn't learn to obey his parents, he can't claim really to be a very good Christian. Uh, if he isn't polite, if he isn't learning the rules, if he isn't praying before a meal, and these things, why uh, he has doesn't have confidence in his own salvation. Well, it's something very attractive about a child who examines himself rather than his parents uh, and is more anxious to inspect himself than others. That's a very uh, irresistible testimony. Uh, and so we set out to teach the child to do this, uh, and the effect upon the parents uh, we did not wasn't unanticipated, but it was very, very uh, uh, beautiful to watch that the parents came to us uh, and I remember from my prior experience when I was with invitational schools that many times the parents would come in great anger uh, because now they had this insolent youngster uh, who was claiming to be a Christian and on his way to heaven and he was no no better and perhaps worse than he, than he was before. Uh, and, uh, and they would uh, give us lectures about our theology and so forth. But I can't really uh, think of any parents who come back to us bitter about what we talk to their children. Uh, every uh, parent, regardless of their state, wants to have the child taught the Ten Commandments. Who doesn't? Uh, the 23rd Psalm is very beautiful, with beautiful thoughts, and, uh, and the uh, Lord's Prayer. Uh, so we teach this in the religious meetings of the holidays and, and basic Bible study uh, so that the child is directed to uh, inspect himself and the state of his own soul. And we have found a very, very good testimony to the parents. The parents are anxious to recommend other children to come to our school. Uh, and it's very uh, often that parents will come in and say, well, we've noticed a change in our neighbor's child or our relative's child, and uh, we'd like very much to bring that, that child into your school. Andrew, why did you choose, Mac, and how important is intensive phonics as a method of teaching reading? Well, I took uh, phonics at Johns Hopkins University, uh, two very good courses under a Dr. Hardy, who was one of the world's leading experts on it. And one of the things that Dr. Hardy impressed upon me is that a child born blind is not impaired as critically as a child born deaf. Uh, we learn language primarily through hearing rather than sight. Uh, therefore, the easiest and quickest way to teach a child is primarily through hearing, and that's why the phonics method is so successful. Uh, we've turned it on its head, of course, with the, uh, the uh, approach that we use with the Luxay system, where we're teaching children to recognize letters by the nomenclature rather than by the sound, yes. and so they cannot learn to uh, read as easily as they can. Uh, and the phonics system just plain works. It works very, very well. We, uh, we use a modified version of the uh, Pensacola Christian College's curriculum, which is used in uh, thousands of Christian schools around the world, and uh, it works out very, very nicely indeed. Uh, I highly recommend them. Mark? Uh, would you explain a little bit about your background in Christian schools before you started your own, and what you saw as some of the, the problems in Christian schools and in administration, um, that you decided to uh, change when you started your own school from scratch? Well, I graduated from uh, Bob Jones University uh, and then went to a Christian school in Georgia uh, that was your typical Baptist day school. And uh, 
they did a wonderful uh, job at uh, recruiting youngsters from out of the community uh, and recruiting them uh, from a public school system, which was certainly inferior to the Christian education that they were offering. Uh, but they were heavily uh, in debt constantly. Uh, they did not make money. Uh, there was constant fundraising. Uh, there was constant underpayment of the faculty. Uh, and there was a constant uh, uh, pushing of the parents for more and more income to support the school, which was financially dependent upon them. Uh, as a consequence, the school was always in a position of uh, being more and more dependent upon the church and the church families. As it became more dependent upon the church families and the church families were able to exert more and more influence over uh, what the school taught and what the school uh, did not teach. Uh, and uh, a lot of the political pressures and the conflicts inevitably come up between church and school. Uh, and the pastors put in a position and the teachers are put in a position where uh, they have to choose between uh, uh, what's good for the church and what's good for the school. Uh, as a consequence, the schools have grown in this country, more and more of them, to where they'll only admit children from churched families or from the church that sponsors the school. Uh, so that the school increasingly as it exists and as more and more uh, uh, problems becomes less and less evangelistic. It's not winning souls. It's not reaching out to the community as it once did. Uh, and it's becoming more and more closed in upon itself. And I felt that a school should evangelize, particularly these children who are coming more and more from families that don't have any association with any school, whose parents are constantly absent from the home working uh, all they can just to keep body and soul together, and children coming from homes in which no one divorce after another or have never even known a marriage. And Christian schools increasingly by excluding those who uh, cannot claim to belong to a church, cannot claim to have made a profession of faith, are letting these people down. Uh, so I wanted to design a school that would be financially stable and able to support itself strictly from tuition and would be able to evangelize to everyone in the community and uh, do the kind of work that I feel that a church school should do uh, in reaching other people. Mac, in your estimation, what are some of the principal weaknesses of Christian day schools in this country? You know the movement is about oh, roughly 25, 30 years old, maybe a little less. What do you perceive from your experience to be the principal weaknesses of the Christian day school movement? The principal weakness of the Christian day school movement is that it's become castrated, uh, um, so to speak, by taking God's law away from the curriculum and away from the application to the curriculum. Uh, whenever they go to chapel, the children are taught again and again that Christianity uh, is simply making a profession of faith. Uh, they are not taught that Christianity is applying God's law to themselves, to their work, uh, to everything round about them, uh, bringing their life more and more conformity to God's law, and measuring the genuineness of their profession of faith by uh, how well they grow and mature into becoming more Christ-like, that is, more obedient uh, to God's law. The Faculty, many of the faculty I found are Calvinistic, uh, but they are uh, Calvinists who emphasize almost exclusively the sovereignty of God, but do not emphasize the function of God's law in the curriculum. 
So as a result, why we have a curriculum which becomes more and more humanistic. Uh, you have, uh, for example, in one of the schools, uh, one of the speech classes that uh, I went into, uh, the speech teacher was actually having the youngsters uh, conduct debate on whether the death penalty should be uh, enforced in the United States or not. Uh, afterwards, I, I said to her as politely as I could, uh, that's hardly a debatable point, do you think? The, <laughs> the Bible authorizes the death penalty, and uh, here you are in a Christian school uh, acting as though that's something that can be debated. Well, that's just a small example of many things that I've seen in the Christian schools because they're not using God's law. And the idea that God's law says so, so something, therefore I can't debate that on my speech class, was a brand new thought to her. Mm. Uh, it was not that she was a, a, an evil person necessarily, but this is what was done in her college. Uh, and she had a little uh, synopsis on it and so forth, and that made a nice little workshop. And so she went ahead and did it. Uh, and there are other examples like I could give you uh, from the Christian school because the, the Christian schools do not uh, apply God's law. Um, for example, in uh, every school that I administered, uh, I asked the uh, teachers at the beginning of the assembly to pledge allegiance uh, first uh, to the Bible and then pledge allegiance secondly to the Christian flag and last to the American flag. Uh, at first there was a great deal of uh, excitement and questions why and I said well at Christian schools God's law should come first God's, the Bible comes first a good uh, nation is a nation whose laws agree with God's laws and a bad nation is a, is a bad uh, nation to the extent that its laws disagree with the Bible God's law should be supreme uh, the notion then carries that the good Christian school is the school that agrees most often with the Bible, with God's law, with God's word. And a bad Christian school is the one who disagrees with it most often. And so likewise with the church. In other words, we must teach the child to judge all things in relationship to God's word, to God's law. Uh, what is good and what's bad agrees with it. Likewise, he must learn to judge himself. He's a good boy to the extent, or a genuine Christian to the extent that he is able more and more, by God's help, to keep the law better and better. And he's not progressing, or he's not a genuine Christian if he cannot. Uh, just knowing the good guys and the bad guys, so to speak, uh, and using the Bible as, as a standard to do so. Well, in every Christian school I went into and just reversed the order of the pledges, because as you know, the normal order of the pledges is flag first, uh, and uh, everything religious afterwards. Uh, for example, at my local uh, Kiwanis club, I suggested to the chaplain uh, that he really should uh, call for prayer first and the Christian flag afterwards. And uh, there was a lot of excitement with the Episcopalian uh, chaplain about just why that is. Uh, he's still wrestling with it. I'm still having a good, <laughs> a good time uh, debating with him. Uh, but he's resisting it. He really thinks it's quite strange that uh, that you would uh, offer up something religious before uh, the political entity of the United States. You you fly fly the Christian flag over your schools, don't you? you you've had some comments about that. Yes, we uh, fly the Christian flag in front of every, all of our schools. We have 35 foot flag full with uh, with a big Christian flag flying on it. Now we fly the American flag on weekends, uh, and we fly the American flag on uh, military holidays and. Uh, at half-mast when horrible things happen, like the Oklahoma bombing and this type of thing. Uh, but ordinarily, when the school is in session, the Christian flag is flying, 
and we explain to the children that this is because God's work is being done here and God's law applies here more strictly than it would apply in some place that doesn't uh, seek to teach God's word. Uh, and so the children, after all, get to take a great deal of pride in this. Uh, they say, our school flies a Christian flag and theirs flies another flag. Uh, but we want them to be patriotic and we want them to love their country, of course. But country should be loved to the extent the country uh, upholds God's law. And uh, there's limits. Uh, for example, a good marriage is a marriage in which the husband uh, applies God's law. And uh, we can't go beyond God's law and call ourselves good Christians. Um, and so we would teach the children by the flag of the flag, that principle. What motivates uh, parents who are either non-Christian or the ones that are living together without benefit of marriage, what, what motivates them to bring their kids to a Christian school? Most of the parents that come to see me are motivated by the fact that our cost is lower than uh, it would be with a competitor. They buy uh, daycare like they buy a hamburger, most of them. Uh, the school's convenient, the school's clean, the school has, uh, produces healthy children, uh, the school produces happy children, as Rush says. Uh, they're very, very happy because of the security of the environment that we produce makes them so. Uh, and then later, why they, uh, they discover the benefits of the uh, Christianity that we have, but initially, they, uh, they choose a school just on the basis of convenience and price. Uh, and, of course, it's reputation being that, uh, that it does good things for children. Uh, but most of them don't seriously sit down and, uh, and consider uh, the educational aspect of it either. Because who expects, in America, a three-year-old to read? Uh, we had found at first that we would uh, we would go to great lengths to tell them about how the child's going to be able to read, and we would bring in a child, uh, one of our readers that would be only three years old, and have put on a demonstration for them, and we found that we scared some of them away. Uh, they said, "Why, my child would never be able to do that." Uh, <laughs> my goodness, they read like that, and so they, so we found that we would only then put on a demonstration for the parents who indicated an interest in. Uh, education. Uh, and the same thing is true about a lot of our curriculum. Uh, if the parent is interested in that, why we'll particularly uh, uh, show them. But if they're just interested in a safe environment, why we certainly will talk about that. One of the things I've noticed across country and community after community, including here, the parents who have children are your best salesmen mm -hmm. because they will brag to other parents that their preschool child or their kindergarten child can read thus and so and they like nothing better than to call the child into the room and have the child show by picking up a newspaper or the Bible how they can read. And the parents who are there are very upset by that. Yes. They say, well, my little Mary or my little Johnny is just as smart as that kid. <laughs> and they feel that the public school is cheating them, so they'll put them in the Christian school. I know here, uh, the father of a kinder kindergarten girl told me, he said, uh, our girl was uh, playing with two other girls, third and fourth graders, and she's in the kindergarten. And the uh, kids ran to their mother saying that this little girl in kindergarten could read better than they could. 
and could read parts of their book that they weren't up to reading yet. Well, uh, you can imagine the effect of on the parents. I've found that this is one of the best selling points for a good Christian school. The child who is in uh, daycare, as with Mac, or in our school in kindergarten, who is so far ahead of other children that the parents are really upset. Why isn't the public school doing as well as this school? And you'd be amazed at how that gets around and what a selling point that is. Yeah, I might add that uh, almost all of our parents are brought to us by word of mouth. Over 75%, I would say, come in due to word of mouth alone. And to add to the point that was before that was that we're not up front with the parents about religion right off the start. I mean, we're not. I mean, most Christian schools, when the parents come in, their first question is, what religion are you? And that's not a question that you'll get when you come into our school. Now, we'll say we're religious and we teach the 23rd Psalm, the Lord's Prayer, and Ten Commandments. We're going like that. But we're not going to say, you have to believe it. Mm -hmm. This is something we're going to teach and it's not going to be forced upon you. Yes. Well, this is an important fact. Uh, And I feel that, uh, as Max said, Christian schools that try to exclude non-Christians are missing a bet because it's the greatest means of evangelism in recent years. A very high percentage of the best Christians have been reached through their children. And to pass that up, I think, is a very serious error on the part of schools. There have been numerous uh, uh, programs on television and articles written about the difficulty that large corporations have finding people with basic skills, reading, writing, uh, language skills, communication skills, as well as uh, being able to do a simple computation. And uh, there's a controversy going on now uh, just within the recent two or three weeks that uh, uh, major companies have been laying off uh, domestic workers, American citizens, and uh, hiring foreign nationals or people recently who have recently immigrated to this country because their basic skills and computational skills exceed uh, the product that comes from the public school. So the, the wave has hit the beach in... Uh, in the uh, commercial sector, and uh, I would think that the they're reaching a point of desperation. Obviously, yes. there's something else going on. Also, uh, we have found that uh, foreign nationals are very good to hire as teachers' aides in our schools uh, because they'll clean and they'll say yes, sir, and no, sir, and they'll show up on time. Uh, and they're respectful. In other words, they have work habits uh, that come closer to the Christian ethic than our students who have been trained in a humanistic system in which there's no value placed upon these things. If anything, there's a value placed on being flippant and uh, uh, questioning of all authority and not subservient to, to authority. And this is one of the big things that uh, Christian schools do, which is just as important, perhaps more important many times in literacy, uh, that the child is able to relate to authority uh, is able to take responsibility and able to carry out orders. And we have found, uh, for example, uh, Dan has four 
um, Mexican uh, people of Mexican heritage working in the school, and uh, they show up for work and they uh, they do a very good job. Uh, and so, uh, so it, pay, it pays us to hire them, and uh, it pains us that uh, we can't find uh, Americans that uh, can do as well many times. It's so bad that I can't even speak to some of them. I have to translate through other ones, but they know basic English enough to take care of the children on potty breaks and do cleaning and stuff like that. But I'd rather hire them to do it because the Americans, it's a job they won't do. Yes. Yes. One of the things that uh, I've been told by public school teachers, even on the kindergarten level, is how insolent the children are. They learn it uh, very early. They bring it into the school. So the teachers who have been many years in the public school system and have been used to clean, well-behaved kindergarten children are now appalled at what they're getting and how unruly they are and defiant of all authority. Well, I think a lot of that conditioning comes from watching TV. I forget. Yes. Years ago there was a statistic, I don't know, some secretary of education or something threw it out that kids have something like three or 4,000 hours of what he termed unrelated input data from television. And uh, they're, they're actually trained. Their attitudes are formed by the time they, they hit the public school system. Mm -hmm. That insolence comes from, you know, programs like the kids in Roseanne and, and uh, some of these other TV programs where uh, that's considered humorous. I think well, it's a mistake to blame it on the uh, television, however. It's the uh, atmosphere of the home and the church that doesn't set forth a standard uh, of what's right and wrong. Uh, for example, one of the most interesting things I learned about phonetics is, for example, a southerner born and raised in the south listening to a perfect Midwestern accent all of his life on television and radio will not develop a Midwestern accent. He'll have a southern accent like his neighbors. Uh, because there's something about personal contact which overrides anything that we get from uh, media. Uh, so that uh, a New England accent, a Boston accent, a Bronx accent will not be changed by listening to uh, television. I think it's, it's also true that the impact upon our behavior uh, is formed more by personal relationships that we have with our personal circle of people in the home, uh, in the school, and in the church, if they have a church experience, which increasingly they have less and less of. These have a greater impact, and it's a mistake to uh, blame it on the uh, television. Television is fantasy, and the child very soon, by the age of five, is able to differentiate between the two. I think also another interesting thing that I've learned is that values are tied to the language that the child develops. In other words, his values are picked up simultaneously with his language. Uh, and if he's learning language in the home that's laden with values, as he will in a Christian home, or if he's learning language in a Christian school that's laden with values, as he would in a Christian school, those values come almost uh, like osmosis. Uh, they're part of the environment. But if he's learning language from people who or valueless, or humanistic, or without value, or even take a great perverted pride in not uh, upholding standards of the, uh, what we would call the Ten Commandments, then the child will not learn these values. And by the time he's five or six, he's pretty well set in a, uh, an anti-Christian mode of thinking. And the TV may uh, have an influence upon this, but the primary thing is the personal contact. 
Because that's where the values are learned. I think Mark said one time that if you didn't get a kid by the, you know, by the time uh, kindergarten age, if he came to you by the time he was in the first or second grade in public school, it was almost impossible to turn him around. Well, not impossible, but they get bad bad habits in a lot of ways as far as their their schoolwork. Um, by the time they get up around seventh grade, it, it's if they have habits that are set in that are bad behavior habits there's not a lot we can do with them unless they want to change unless that's why the change. uh that's why the daycare of the preschool is more important many times than what we do in the upper grades because if these values are going to be learned between the ages of two and five and they are simultaneously with their language and they are then this is the most critical time for the christian educator to reach the child but you asked a question earlier, what is one of the great problems with Christian education in America? And one of the great problems is they do not try deliberately to recruit the preschool child. Uh, they're trying to build their schools from uh, K-5 and up. Uh, I had a long career as a uh, Christian school administrator before I founded my first Christian school, which is in 1985. And at every Christian school that I came into, they were suffering bankruptcy, which is not unusual. Uh, for the Christian schools, and I was able to turn them around. And one of the ways I was able to turn them around was by simply adding a preschool. Uh, because here this is where the evangelization takes place, here's where the child is most plastic and can be reached most easily, and we can do the most good. Uh, and there was resistance at every level, however, to this. Uh, the reason the Lord says, forbid not the little children to come, to come, is because that's exactly what uh, rebellious Christians do. They do forbid little children to come, right. and they do neglect the preschool, uh, and they do regard the elementary as somehow more prestigious than preschool, and if you teach high school, it's somehow more prestigious than elementary, and the most glorified of all is to be a college professor. Uh, and I think many that be first shall be last, and many that be last shall be first, uh, whenever educators are judged on the basis of how much good they've done and how well they follow God's word. The preschool is a critical thing uh, for evangelization of people. And if a school has a heart for evangelism, the preschool should be the biggest part of their school. I'll have to tell you a story. It was told to me by a school teacher once in my travels, told as a true story, but it's so perfect a story I have trouble accepting it as actually having happened. But according to her, this little boy came into the kindergarten from out in the ranching area, getting a bus in every day. And he was a very fine little boy, except every time he was frustrated, he'd cut loose with such a stream of four-letter words he'd picked up from the cowhands. So she tried unsuccessfully to do something about it, and finally one day when it was really a shocking outburst, she waited until it was time for him to get on the bus and pinned a note uh, to his parents saying that little Joe is a very fine boy, has a good aptitude, but his use of bad language, especially some shocking four-letter words, is really terrible, and they should do something about it because it was very disruptive of the class. 
So he went home with it, and the next day his behavior was just exemplary. His language was beautiful. And she was so pleased that when it was time for him to go home, she decided that a note uh, telling the parents how wonderfully he behaved should go home with him. So she got the note and went out there to pin him up, pin it on him, and he jerked back and he says, "Oh no, you don't. You did that yesterday, and they beat the ass out." <laughs> So, Mac, are we entering an era in which the state is losing a monopoly in primary and secondary education? And if so, do you think that schools like yours uh, are going to be the norm in the future? And if you thought that far ahead, that's probably superfluous. I'm sure you have. I've trained people that uh, have started schools in Virginia, Mississippi, Texas, uh, several places around the country. And one of our ambitions is to train people to start schools like our own. Because we need Christian schools that are financially independent, that is, dependent for their income upon tuition, and can pay the teachers uh, decent wages. For example, uh, our management couples earn at least $50,000 a year, uh, plus a lot of uh, benefits at the, on top of that. Uh, but the idea being that a school should be able to be freestanding, based upon tuition only, and not dependent upon uh, tithes and offerings. Uh, we have a sponsoring church for Grace Community Schools, Nicene Covenant Church, but 100% of our tithes and offerings go to support other Christian works. Uh, there's no salary paid to, to me as preacher of that school. My money comes from the school. Uh, we don't even have a church building. We meet in one of the school buildings uh, because we feel that that church church's outreach is through the schools uh, to the families that we serve and that the tithe money should be used uh, for other purposes uh, because I've found that if you begin to live on the tithe money as a ministry you come to get dependent upon it now I'd like to have that principle all across America because if we had uh, three Christian schools like ours in every county in the United States that would only be about the same number of outlets that McDonald's has uh, but the influence upon our country would be tremendous and the amount of income that could come from uh, tithing couples that run these uh, institutions, uh, why there could be calcedons that would be able to do things that uh, uh, that we would only dream about now. And much more godly than Big Macs. Much more godly <laughs> than Big Macs, absolutely. Mm -hmm. It was the church that financed the publication of systematic theology which in turn brought in income enough to reprint by what standard and messianic character of American education and may provide it for the uh, republication of the shorter works. So uh, that's what Max Setup is doing right now, just uh, in so far as it affects us. Our church feels that by reaching these families that we're going to clip a lot of heavenly coupons and we're going to clip a lot of heavenly coupons by helping to publish uh, systematic theology and, and other things that we've done as well. And this is more important than building brick and mortar in a steeple uh, because of the what we're building in the lives of these people. Now this vision I would like to transfer to a lot of other uh, reform Christian reconstructionist men and women 
uh, go across our country because now, using the system that I've developed, these schools can be started from scratch. Uh, they can provide financial independence for uh, Christian men and women, reform ministers and their wives, and can provide a tremendous amount of income to help support scholars like R.J. Rushton. Uh, this is a, a plan which uh, I'm very excited about and I hope that the listeners to this tape will uh, pray about and consider uh, for themselves or for their children or for their day school graduates uh, to get this kind of training. Uh, we try very hard to train young people. Uh, we have a summer program where we bring it in just for the summer to get introduce them uh, to our ministry to see if they would like it as a life work. And we even pay them $1,000 a month to do so and provide housing for them. Uh, so uh, we're serious about recruiting young people uh, because, frankly, right now the thing that's holding back my ministry is not money. Uh, it's not the availability of real estate. It's the availability of people that are capable of running these schools in the manner that uh, we've set up. Do you have a business plan that, that people can follow in setting up a school from scratch? Yes. Uh, however, the key to running one of these schools is not uh, a plan like, um, for example, the franchising approaches is you write everything down and we've done that and a manual and we've done that. Uh, but you have to be able to bring children into the school nowadays and teach them to obey without corporal punishment. You just cannot touch them. You cannot do anything in a negative fashion to discipline. The only kind of discipline you can use uh, is time out. Uh, so uh, young ministers like uh, Daniel here, my son, have developed a system of rewards and, uh, and punishments uh, that we use uh, by offering rewards and recognition uh, and time out and these things to modify the behavior of the child in a biblical fashion because that's what the covenant is, rewards and punishment. Uh, but you can't use the corporal. Now you can, and you'd be surprised if you visit our schools to see how well behaved they are, you can do these things, but it takes a lot longer and a lot more patience and a lot more skill on the part of the teacher, and this is the skill that they need to learn. Uh, this is why they have to come to our school and, and watch how we do this, because if uh, we barge in in the fashion of some Christians uh, and uh, attempt to use the discipline like dear old dad and mom used on you, uh, or uh, as Russia's little joke about BTS out of someone, uh, that can't happen. Uh, you cannot do that uh, in the society which we have. But we can still uh, get that child to behave, but it takes a lot of skill and a lot of training. That's the key thing uh, in, uh, in this ministry, uh, not the business plan although we have a very good one and we have a very good manual. But I could hand out the business plan all days long and people would uh, fail all day long. After all, how many Christian schools do you know are making uh, a profit? I don't think you probably know any. Uh, there are very, very few Christian schools make any money at all. Uh, now, that's not all their business plan. There's a lot of other reasons why that's true. I think one of the reasons today why uh, there are failures of people who would try to imitate you or try to imitate some other group that has successfully embarked on a particular kind of Christian school approach, whether it's preschool, grade, or high. What you find is that people will go in and learn something or teach in this school or that or work with Mac for a while 
and then go out and try to improve on what they've learned when they've had not more than a year or two of experience. They, th they think they know better. They think they're better than those they've learned from. And as a result, they'll start a new work which will begin to go uh, well, and then they kill it because they try to improve on something which has worked. And they don't have enough experience to improve on something. The only time you can say, I can uh, change or alter something, is you, if you've been at it, say, ten years, and you know the whole thing inside and out. If you try earlier, you kill it. And I have seen Christian education on all levels commit suicide because they go out to transplant a program into their community and they think they know better. Would you agree with that, Matt, from your experience? Yes, uh, from my experience, uh, I've almost got to the point if a fellow thinks he can run a school, um, most likely he's not a very good candidate because I'm going to have to uh, convince him that he cannot. Uh, this is why I find that recent high school graduates from a homeschooling environment uh, recent college graduates sometimes uh, who have just come in without any experience that we can we can move them along faster to where they can get uh, what they need to know. Uh, for example, I had uh, one fellow who was a good friend of mine, so I was a little more uh, flip with him and sarcastic than I might be with, with a stranger. Uh, but he said to me, he says, well, I know how to run a school. And I said, well, and I named the school that he I was from. I said, did that school operate at a profit? And he said, no. I said, well, what kind of a school do you know how to run then? And then he laughed. He says, I know how to run a school that doesn't make a profit. I said, now you go. Another of the problems I encounter, I have people come up to me and ask for my counsel. Uh, they're starting a school this coming fall, and they're going to take in uh, K through 12. And I tell them you're a loser to begin with. <laughs> Why don't you start with preschool or kindergarten and add one grade a year? Oh, no, I have a child who's going into the seventh grade. I've got to have uh, all those years. And then somebody else who's working with me has a child that will be in the tenth grade. And I say, well, homeschool them. But don't kill your school off at the beginning by attempting more than you can do. And usually those schools fail because they're trying to do more than they can. If they begin a grade at a time, at most two grades the first year, they will learn in the process of doing. And even then it'll be a killing kind of thing for uh, neophytes. But uh, they all think it's uh, a simple trick to educate little children. I'm interested in the, uh, have you uh, assessed the impact on children who graduate from your school and uh, since there's there's no high school, they go to a public high school somewhere or do they go to homeschooling to finish their education? Well, we, have, we have had some go through the high school, but it's more or less of a homeschool mm -hmm. uh, type environment because we don't have a classroom situation above the sixth grade. Uh, however, we do know that uh, children have left our school in such numbers uh, because we get about 20% of the preschool children at one time or another in our schools in the county that we're in, the county in which we're, we're most in. And so uh, 
children are arriving at the public school system so far in advance that we get reports back uh, that they they go to take uh, reading lessons with older students, uh, first graders taking uh, reading circles with third graders and this sort of thing. Uh, they used to turn them away saying they could not go in the first grade because they weren't old enough even though the children were reading at the second, third, fourth level and so forth. Uh, they modified the rules on that. But so we found that the public schools are clawing very hard, fighting very hard to keep those students because uh, when they were turning them away, they were coming back to us uh, more, uh, more readily than they are now. And so we have had an impact on the public school system uh, because they've had to change their, uh, uh, their techniques. Uh, we kind of, kind of a joke, uh, we found that over, oh, let's say 60, 70% of them were in the gifted program. And they weren't gifted children at all. They were average children that were just doing gifted work. And they would be in the gifted program for a while, uh, and then drift back uh, with, with the mainstream. Uh, meaning that they lost a lot of their advantage. Some of the parents have come back to us, uh, uh sad, uh, because, uh, Brush mentioned the junior high level. Uh, many of them don't find out uh, what's happening until about the junior high level, and then they come back and uh, with very sad tales about try, uh, trying to help them out. Uh, but a lot of the moral problems, which are more uh, awful than the uh, than the literary problems and the problems of just not being able to count and so forth, don't show up until uh, the sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. Uh, and then we have this child who's a moral cripple. And it's very, very uh, difficult, as Mark mentioned, to uh, turn this child around. You know, we can be converted at any age, right up to our deathbed, I believe, in the conversion. Uh, but the conversion produces a, a person after the conversion who's not as strong and is not as able and not as useful to himself, to his family, to his community as he would have been if he'd have been converted and lived a righteous life uh, from the preschool up. Uh, and if we want our children to live long and not die early, as uh, uh, the commandment promises, honor thy father and mother that thy days may be long. If we want children that are going to be wealthy and not poor, because uh, that commandment also says, upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. If we want our children to be healthy instead of sick, uh, we, because the Apostle Paul says, for this reason many of you are sick, many of you sleep. Uh, we, if we want to have mercy and compassion upon children and want them to be healthy, wealthy, and live a long time, uh, all of this has to uh, come from that moral education which is rooted and grounded on God's word, God's law word, and getting to them just as early as possible. Any state hostility or interference? <laughs> Any state interference? Uh, yes, uh, the uh, state would like very much to have us licensed, uh, and they have come around offering uh, to license us uh, at far less money than it would cost for us to belong to the uh, Christian school organization that we belong to. Uh, but the difficulty, of course, is that the direction of the government is... Uh, more and more interference with uh, the curriculum that we have. For example, I've already mentioned that it's impossible to uh, discipline a child in, in, a, in a private school setting, particularly a preschool setting, uh, uh, as you would have 10, 15, 20 years ago, for example. Uh, and this is indicative of all of the uh, approaches that the government has. For example, when the Clinton administration came in, uh, immediately 
we had formerly been receiving uh, children through the Jobs Training Act. Uh, that was the act put through, forth by uh, uh, Vice President Quayle. Uh, immediately we were notified that we could no longer uh, have children in our schools because of the uh, fact that we taught them the Ten Commandments and so forth under that program. Well, formerly under the Republican administration, this was acceptable. Uh, and so the direction of the government, particularly if the government's a liberal government, as we have now more liberal than before, uh, like black as, uh, yes, the other one was gray, uh, then the direction that the government has is more and more against uh, what we're doing. Uh, for example, just the notion that I mentioned earlier to judge uh, a good politician as a politician that proposes legislation that would support God's law and a bad uh, politician as a politician that would support legislation which is opposed to it. Uh, that concept's not too welcome uh, by politicians and by uh, government people. Uh, they would call that uh, intolerant uh, to, uh, to place any kind of a standard on themselves and uh, they would resist that. Uh, so, yes, there is government uh, resistance. Uh, so far, the uh, state of Florida allows us to belong to a Christian school, and uh, we have to meet all of the same rules and regulations, but happily we can have some resistance uh, to this encroachment of government interference. If someone, because our time is uh, drawing to a close, would like to come and train at one of your schools in your system, what should they do? Uh, just pick up the phone and call area code 813-793-3928. That's in the evening at home. I'll be happy to talk to you then. Or call one of our schools, uh, same area code, 813-793-4022. Uh, and uh, someone will be delighted to send them a packet of information. Uh, if there's students who would like to come during the summer and sample our program, we hire some interns every summer because our schools go year-round. That's something I haven't mentioned. Yes. Uh, our students come from 7 in the morning till 6 at night, uh, five days a week, and our schools are only closed out for eight holidays during the year uh, so that the school is open constantly to uh, further the education of the children. For that reason, we have to hire a lot of re summer replacements so our regular teachers can take a vacation. So that's an opportunity to sample the education of our, of our schools. If there are parents who would like to have their children uh, train with us and uh, go to college uh, locally, that's a, that's a good thing to do because many times the practical training as a teacher is a good thing to get before you get a teaching degree. Uh, sadly, we have to hire teachers every year who have a teaching degree but do not have the capacity to uh, be a good teacher. Uh, it would be nice to find that out before you invested four years of education and have a degree to do so. Well, thank you very much, Mac. This has been an intensely interesting session. Uh, what you are doing is truly remarkable. You have a hand in molding the future because you do have those who are trying to imitate you or have learned from you and the net result is that we are seeing in education a specifically Christian impact which not only stresses quality education but is economically so well grounded that uh, it is creating uh, 
a profitable type of schooling. Thank you all for listening, and good night.